Marvelites, you are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new comics on sale April 7th, 2021. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. Tucker, you're in California now. Even over here in the New York, they have opened up vaccination eligibility to so many people. Are you eligible? Have you booked your first shot yet? I am booked. I am booked. I'm so happy to say it. Yeah. How are you doing with all that stuff? Great. By the time this goes out, I will have gotten my second shot. Hells yeah. I'm very excited. I'm already talking to friends, making plans, because a lot of my friends are in the same general timeline. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to like show my friends my house and hug them right. and let them see my child. <laughs> so it's great. I've been doing so much more thinking about like the catharsis of like so many moments that are on the way. Like I'm so excited to just see like a singer on stage for the first time and just like how exciting that's going to be, you know. Very, very cool. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. That's great. Yeah. You know, I just think about folks who have gone through this and who, you know, are looking forward to having their friends and the people mm-hmm. they know around them being safe and, and everybody being awesome. And yeah, let's all be safe and, and read some rad comics because that's what we're going to do today. We're going to tell you about all the new comics on sale this week from Marvel. We're going to give you our picks, our favorite books that came out this week, as well as we're going to throw some favorites your way, some awards that go to all the other books this week. I don't know. What are we calling them this week? Sometimes we call them the pulleys. Pulling no punches. That's what we're doing this week. We got some big books. I think some like really action-packed books this week between King Black, Mech Strike, a bunch of different stuff. We'll get into it. But yeah, let's pull no punches this week. Tucker, I want to call out three tweets by our pal, the tech lord, at Lex Pendragon. Lex says, I wonder if Bill Pullman knows he should listen to this week's Marvel's <laughs> poll list. Get in here, Bill. <laughs> yeah, Bill, you want to be on the show? You let us know. <laughs> and then uh, Lex continues saying, listening to Marvel's poll list made me realize I have read every appearance of Silk. One of the surprising favorites would be the Spiderfly effect. And he tweets out a link, which is great. Every appearance of Silk. Not a ton of books, but mm-hmm. all great. And finally, Lex Pendragon says, Marvel's pull is also Star Trek daughter names represent. And he posts a picture of his daughter, Majel, in a Squirrel Girl costume. That is oh like my God. the true apex of amazing, glorious geekdom come together. Look at that pose, that powerful pose. Thank you for sharing, Lex. Those are great. Oh, that rules. That really rules. I think that's the perfect way to dive into our picks. Uh, The first being Venom number 34, written by Donny Cates, art by Iban Coelho, colors by Jesus Arbutov, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This issue, really great. Donny's doing what Donny does, and it's big, and it's awesome, and it fits really well into the whole of what he's telling for King in Black. But man, the star right here is Iban Coelho. Holy cow. We've seen Iban do a ton of issues of Venom. This is like my favorite of his entire run of Venom books. It's so dynamic. And part of that, of course, goes to Jesus Arbutov, who is continually, week in, week out, proving he's one of the best in the coloring game. This is one of the most gorgeous books we have in recent memory. It shines and explodes and is big and wild and fun. This is partially a story about Eddie Brock, like focused on Eddie in the midst of the King and Black stuff and how he's fighting to get back into the fight against Null. But it's also a story about Flash Thompson. And that is really, really cool. I won't spoil anything about how Flash factors into this in numerous ways, but it's it's rad as hell. 
we'll come back to the King of Black action very soon, but I'm going to jump in here with my pick this week, which is Avengers Mech Strike number three. It's written by Jed McKay with art by Carlos Magno, colors by Guru EFX and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Right off the top, I got to mention the colors in this Mech Strike issue. Guru EFX colors are just some of the best It's work that I think is so malleable can find itself at home in any series. And I think there's some really wide ranging stuff that's happening in this book in particular, a bunch of different settings, different scales. It's one of those things that's when it's well done, you can forget what a huge challenge it actually is to convey something like Mech Strike where you have these huge, you know, mechs that we're seeing throw down it can get lost as you see the scale of these things. But I think this book in general, whether it's that stuff and the huge action that we have at hand here or dinosaur stuff that we get in here, which is so wild, it's just such an ambitious book. I'll say that. Uh, and and look, we're longtime big fans of Jed McKay. We know the work that Jed does. We know how high energy it is. We know how fast paced it is. I think there are so many incredible influences to his work that when you dive into a story like this, it both feels reminiscent of something so familiar. And yet at the same time, it really does feel daring and new and fresh. The place where this issue goes was unexpected for me. And I think between the mech stuff and then the more personal side of things, It's really, really exciting stuff. Yeah. It's an example of a creative team going above and beyond in every single way. Mm -hmm. That's great. All right. Our last big pick of the week is, of course, King in Black, number five. I want to give it our we're not pulling any punches of the week for they said the title in the book. It's a thing (laughs) when you watch a movie or a TV show. That's so good. They say the title in here and it's a really meaningful piece of dialogue, and I won't explain how or why it comes up specifically, but really in here, there was an impact to it all, more so than anywhere else. This issue, written by Dangerous Donny Cates, penciled by Rugged Ryan Stegman, inks by Stegman and J.P. Meyer, colors by Frank Martin and Jason Keith, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This is it. This is the final issue of the King in Black main limited series. It is a big one. It is Eddie Brock versus Null. That is the bulk of this. How that could even be a fight is sort of like how this storyline has been built. If you read Venom number 34, you see really big ways in which this becomes a fight and how Eddie can stand toe-to-toe against Null. But Silver Surfer has popped up into this. He's brought something to the party. He's brought a friend to help out Eddie. Thor's involvement is really key to this. I don't want to spoil a ton, but... It's kind of fun. It's like you see Donnie's brain and the way he's been crafting all his different books and putting pieces in place and saying, oh, this story would be really cool. And this would be important if I did this piece here. And then six months later, it pays off in this. And like even the book with Wraith and how that factors into a key conversation point in these issues and and how Silver Surfer Black factors into this and, and everything sort of coming together in this beautiful way. While still, if all you did was read King in Black, it is such a like big, explosive, blockbuster, dynamite, 
widescreen action adventure superhero comic. It is what we want when we think about big comics. And there's emotional grist to it all, you know, especially because of everything that's gone on with Eddie Brock and Dylan Brock and like those moments where you're feeling for characters who are having these connections and these conversations. And you see also like the importance that Eddie means to Donnie and to Ryan as creators and his character specifically for Donnie, like how close he is to Eddie Brock and to Venom and to be able to tell the story and put Eddie into a place by the end of this book that is really special. And um, the finality of it is really neat. It feels like it's got a great weight to it. And it's from beginning to end comes together in such a special way. Yeah. I mean, what can you say about this book? I mean, so much has been talked about. I really do think this era of Donny Kate's storytelling, I think we'll kind of look back on as like chapter one. That was the huge opening salvo from Thanos through to King in Black and Venom 200. It feels like an artist's first album where you just see that they've been writing these songs or these stories their entire life and they're not holding back. Yeah. And I want to give a special shout out to Ryan. Ryan doing crucial work, of course, the lettering, the sound effects, the work that is put into that part of his storytelling Everybody looks at Walter Simonson and how important that was. And Walter didn't do it alone. And I'm sure Ryan's not doing it alone. But man, Ryan's done a dynamic job of building that into his artwork and the panels. And it adds so much. And it feels so cool. There's some parts in here where it's like thump, 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 thump. And like that reminds me of McFarlane's Torment storyline from the beginning of his Spider-Man run. It's really great. It's wonderful stuff. These guys are at the top of their game. Yeah. Hey, speaking of the lettering that an artist might be doing, you mentioned Walt Simonson. Right now, live on Marvel.com, listener, you can go read an incredible conversation between Beta Ray Bill number one writer-artist Daniel Warren Johnson and Beta Ray Bill creator Walter Simonson, where they go really, really deep. So I highly recommend that for listeners. Go check that out on Marvel.com right now. Okay, that's what we have for our picks this week. And now we will continue to pull no punches as we move forward into all the new comics hitting shelves this week. And we're starting that off with Amazing Spider-Man number 63. Where we've been with Spidey over the last maybe five or so issues has been really, really fun. I think Boomerang coming back into this story has really lifted it up in a new way. This issue felt like kind of classic high school Spidey the fly by your seat of your pants, young, youthful energy that I really enjoy. It was a really interesting one. And the other characters that are getting involved here, again, over the past couple issues has been really exciting and different. Yeah. Let's move on to America Chavez, made in the USA, number two. And I think it's appropriate that we said we're pulling no punches this week because this issue had dialogue that cut me to the core. That's what my <laughs> pull no punches of the week for this goes to. Because as a father of a child who was adopted, there's a conversation that happens in here where characters like mentions like my real parents. And I will tell you that is a, a fear of mine to hear that from my daughter. I know it's a thing and children and, and kids, they lash out. But the way it's used in here, like a weapon is so brutal and so real. Kalinda Vasquez, we just had her on the show. Amazing. She's tremendous. Carlos Gomez, beautiful, beautiful art in here. This issue's 
terrific. I can't say enough. It's it's a great, great story. Yeah, right there with you. All right, we're moving on now to Avengers number 44. As we know, the famous cosmic firebird is on the hunt for its next host. And in this issue, we get that answer. And it was very surprising and very exciting. I don't want to say who it is, but we'll talk about it next time. And we'll dive into what that all means next time. But it's such an exciting choice. It's such a cool choice. And in kind of classic Jason Aaron style here, we have just a beautiful denouement to this story as this amazing energy comes down and we see then where these individual characters are landing, sometimes literally. And shout out to the main man, Javier Garon, who of course brings it. I don't know how you can read these scripts and even comprehend what to put on the page, let alone execute it in the way that Javi does. Uh, Just great, great stuff. Hell yeah. All right, we've got Conan the Barbarian number 20. My pull no punches of the week for this one is some bare-chested, oiled up, two big men getting down and wrestling in this (laughs) issue. And it is fun, and it is greased up and wonderful. I love it. So, so awesome. All right, now we're heading over to Krakoa with Excalibur number 20. My pull no punches of the week for this book is Betsy Braddock. I mean, what an enormous journey we've been on with this character from, you know, sorting out all the Psylocke of it all with Betsy, the Captain Britain of it all. Ten of Swords obviously being an absolutely enormous chapter for this character. So Excalibur is one of those books that, you know, I think touches and pulls at the heartstrings the most. And Betsy Braddock's journey is certainly one of those big elements when it comes to all of that stuff. So great issue of Excalibur. Shout out to Teeny Howard for which and with which I helped put together the bullpen bulletins, which are in this week's books, a few this week and last week's books as well, which it's like a, a fun interview with Teeny. Yeah, it's just one of those fun little great things since 1965. Get to know the people behind the books a little bit. So check that out when you read as well. Yeah. Teeny, absolutely crush it on this Really strong week. Speaking of strong stuff, Immortal Hulk number 45. This issue is creepy and strange. And this has my Polno Punches single page spread of the week with this. I don't even know how to describe it. It's Joe Fix It and the kid version of Hulk fighting these like mouth monsters as the leader is sort of arms open and eyes glowing. And it's a nightmare, and I love it. Like if you gave John Carpenter carte blanche to do a Hulk storyline, I feel like he would get into this kind of realm, or David Cronenberg or something, and these guys are just crushing it. And it's a gorgeous, beautiful, weird, very vibrant panel. It's another great issue from Immortal Hulk. Oh, yeah. All right, headed back to the realm of King in Black right now with Planet of the Symbiotes, Number three, we have two different stories in this one. We have a toxin story that was kind of new and exciting for me. I think that's a character with its own kind of legacy history and interesting past. This issue in particular, I really enjoyed the cloak and dagger story in here, which is written by Rodney Barnes. Seeing this great little story in here, you know, it's just nothing but 10 pages. Really, really enjoyed it. It's one of those things that 
I love most about an event is the ability to just pop in and out, tell these tie-in stories, examine different angles that you wouldn't normally get out of a story, just wouldn't have the page space for. You can do something like this and get a great cloak and dagger story, get a great toxin story in one book. I want to give a shout out to Danny Kazam and Devin Lewis, who have been working so hard at the forefront of everything King and Black for years now because we have the creative side of it. We also obviously have the editorial side of it. And I know those guys have been just working their butts off on this story. And it's not only two of the best editors around, but two of the nicest guys being helped along the way by the living legend, Nick Lowe. Just great stuff. Shout out to those guys who edited King Black in general. And also, of course, this tie-in. Heck yeah. Back to the world of mutants for Marauders, number 19. I think my pull no punches of the week for this one goes to reintroducing everyone's favorite mutant, Bliss, because Bliss is the coolest. She's of that, like the Morlock crew who's super weird. She looks kind of like Jean Grey, and then she opens her mouth and out pops her giant prehensile tongue that has its own (laughs) voice and its own mouth and face and... She's got like her venom powers and she's so weird and I love her so much. (laughs) And Stefano Caselli crushes it. The final panel of this issue is maybe my favorite final panel of recent comics. This is like peak Jerry Duggan being like (laughs) mad with power, being able to do the weirdest, coolest, deepest, diviest stuff around and absolutely nailing it. Man, I friggin' love this storyline, this issue, this run of Marauders. And again, Bliss is your new favorite mutant character. Yeah. Next up, we have Runaways number 35. We're 35 issues in, and I'm still stunned by the humanity that Rainbow puts into her words. You open up this page, and from literal word one, page one, You're just right there with these characters. It just feels like home. I'll just say that. And it's beautiful stuff. The juxtaposition of emotions in particular in this issue was torturous in the best way. Pulling no punches when it comes to your heart. So emotional. Just so excellent. We've come to expect the best from Rainbow, from Runaways, from Andres, from this entire creative team. So the bar is pretty high. Every single issue, they managed to meet it. It's great. Last new book for us to talk about this week is Star Wars, The High Republic, number four. I don't know. I get a big kick every time I open this book and see like the timeline of different things and like the Star Wars universe and knowing that like this is the newest piece, but it fits into Mm -hmm. this puzzle and like they can just keep expanding and building and all this stuff. And I think the Star Wars lore is, is so much fun to dig into. This one gets my pull no punches of the week for nasty vegetables. Because there's mm. some gross viney stuff in here. Really just there. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, but it's cool. I, there's some great moments in, in here for a lot of these Jedis and like seeing what they were going through and then actually like seeing how it's all playing out. It's good. That's very vague. I know, listener. We're trying not to spoil <laughs> yeah. it. But like yeah. there's a character in here who you sort of like get attached to very quickly and they've gone through some stuff and then you, you're seeing the bigger play at here. That's called storytelling. (laughs) They did it well. I did an interview with Kevin Scott, the writer of The High Republic, and oh boy, Kevin managed to take my completely unrelatable questions and make them relatable and interesting. If you're interested in The High Republic in this era and how it all came about, Project Luminous, etc., 
Go check that out. It's really, really, really fun time to be a Star Wars fan, particularly when it comes to the comics. Okay. And that's what we have for our fantastic floppies this week. Coming in the realm of collections now, we have a bunch of great stuff. I will say, if you had any curiosities about Warhammer 40,000 Money as Calgar, this is one of those, Ryan, I think you and I agree, that will find its home in collections, not just because of the audience that is built into that universe, but because of the story that's being told. And uh, hey, if you're excited about everything going on with Elektra in Daredevil and Elektra, yeah, becoming Daredevil, we have three great volumes of Elektra history coming to collection this week as well. That's right. On to Marvel Unlimited. Tons of issues in here this week. Avengers number 40, which I believe is the beginning of the Phoenix storyline that just wrapped up this week. So you got that, a couple of King and Black tie-in issues. Power Pack number two, which is really great series. If you've missed it, there's two issues now in Marvel Unlimited to check out that and so many more for everybody to enjoy. All right. It is time for our reading club this week. This week, we wanted to do something a little bit different. We wanted to run an older reading club because we felt it was very relevant for this time. So we pulled the reading club that Tucker, you and I did with Danny Lore and Vita Ayala from last year. What book did we talk about? We talked about Truth, Red, White, and Black, a seminal entry into the Marvel Universe, into the lore of Captain America. Isaiah Bradley, obviously, if you're interested in that character, and if you're interested in the conversation around that character, man, oh man, is there a lot to talk about. And I don't think there were two people better than Vita and Danny to have a really deep, wonderful discussion about a book that I think is one of those from that era uh, that I think as the years tick by, gains in stature, grows in stature, gains in its kind of legendary status as an incredible story. And we were very, very lucky to get to talk to Vita and Danny all about it. All right, folks, here we are. We are talking about Truth, Red, White, and Black today. This is written by Robert Morales with art by Kyle Baker and letters by JG and Comic Crafts. Wes, Vita and Danny, to get us going, why this book? Danny, why don't you why don't you start? Uh well. I've always been a very big Captain America fan, personally. It's funny. Um, my dad, growing up, tells stories of like how he was like a, a, an Iron Man fan, and I'm like, oh my goodness, have I betrayed our family line? But like, <laughs> that's fine. I'm right. Uh, so anyway, but what's also really important for me in the Cap stories are when they really look honestly at our past as a nation and our concept of what's fair and what's good and what's right. I think that that's the best use of the suit, in particular right now, where there there's so much happening right now in terms of the protests and really trying to speak to what people go through on a daily basis uh, in, in America, having that opportunity not just to sit with this story that really reflects it like in a very, very raw way, but also having the excuse to kind of talk about it and process it with other people uh, really appealed to me. For me, this is Vita. <laughs> For me, there, there were a couple of reasons. One of them was that I, I found that it's really hard to find other people that have read it 
that you, like just in general, like if you worked in a comic shop, you probably read it, okay? If you're, you know, black, you probably read it. But like in general, like you talk about like the black Captain America and they're like, oh, you mean Sam? And I'm like, no, but good, but no. (laughs) That's not what I'm talking about. Um, And so it's also an excuse to reread something that I think is is really beautiful. But I thought, all right, well, y'all are giving me the space to talk about a book that I want to talk about. And I want more people to read this book. And it is available through Marvel Unlimited. So y'all could just search it up now and just read it for free. Y'all don't have an excuse. <laughs> it's not even that. It was. It's much more like, hey... I remember when I first discovered it by accident, it was out of print at the time for like a second, but like there was like a used copy at the Strand and I was like, what incarnation is this? <laughs> like I'd never seen this on a shelf before and I was like, is this real? Is this like a bootleg someone like put in there? No, this is this is a real thing. And the joy of being able to discover a story that I think is as prescient now as when it came out as before it was written, it was also <laughs> like, is really something special. And it is accessible within you know the grasp of people that read digital comics and that's i think that's really cool also it's just good like it's just really (laughs) good good. and i think that you know even if you have read it this is an excuse to read it again that's what i took it as i was like all right cool what do i want to read that isn't homework (laughs) great (laughs) and kind of piggybacking off of what vita was saying i'm a real big nerd about meta experiences while reading and there is Uh, especially when you're talking about making sure that people who haven't gotten to read truth yet, like really get to experience it in that way. For me, reading truth is a very meta experience because it's like being Steve in that story, right? It's this moment of, it is both a hidden history, like on like three levels. It's a hidden history, like the reveal of what happened to Isaiah. It is a hidden history in terms of, all the real life historical moments that it talks about and it references. And then on like a comic reading level, it is that book that you saw on the shelf and were like, I've never seen this before. And it is a hidden history in that way as well. I just started watching Watchmen, the show. I'd never watched it before because it was really intense. And I was like, I need to lay like, I'm going to need to give myself the space to really, so I'm just going to wait. But I do remember when it was coming out how people were talking about they had never heard about Tulsa, they had never heard about X, Y, and Z. And I was like, that's a real thing that happened. And what I realized is, not realized, but what what it illustrated to me again was that sometimes you you light the fire by telling the story laterally. Hmm. We've learned so many things. You know, I personally have learned so many things because it was referenced in entertainment somewhere. And I went, I really want to know what that is. And so I think truth does a lot across the board. It talks about what we did to, you know, African-American soldiers just in general. It talks about experimenting on black bodies. It talks about not giving credit for the things that black people have done. And all of that is really important, especially right now. (laughs) It's always important, but I think that there's a, there's another, another moment in history of receptiveness to all of these ideas and being like, Hey, this happened. Let's talk about it again. (laughs) This is going to be, one of my favorite episodes in a very long time. I love, and not, not just the book, not just the subject matter, but the way that you both talk about these things in terms of the minutia of an experience of reading something or the entry point into reading something, what that means. I just love that so much. And Vita, you mentioned with truth 
how kind of prescient it was in so many ways. I think it's so fascinating. And that was something that I was thinking about a lot as I was reading this. I love that it's called Truth, colon, Red, White, and Black. That is such a unique title. And I love that so much. And it's prescient only in so far as the reader's maybe shelteredness to certain experiences might be. Because this is a truth And it's speaking to truths that have always been in reality. This is speaking to things that, you know, I mean, we're we're talking about World War II in this story, but... It could be tomorrow or yesterday. Exactly. And so it's one of those things where Ryan and I talk about movies all the time. And you hear a lot of people talk about certain movies feeling super prescient and getting more relevant over time. I think Social Network is one that a lot of people have been talking about in that vein lately. And there's that kind of prescient media. But then there's this kind, which I think is entirely different, which is just like, there's obviousness to a lot of these things. But the power in giving it this mantle and of saying, this is Captain America. This is an experience that has certain parallels with a Steve Rogers story, but also entirely different undertones, entirely different front-facing experiences at all. You know, it's just that thing where I ended up going in this kind of very big circular exploration as I was reading this just with the story and then within my own mind of thinking about it. And then it just comes back to being able like, oh, yeah. And that's why it's called Truth. That's why it has the name that it has. It's, it's well it's, named. It's so perfect in that way. The name is slightly confrontational in the best way. It's like, this is the truth. It's red, white, and black. Come along learn why this is the truth and if you don't like it too bad this is the history of the marvel universe this is what happened and you're going to learn this story and i think that's so important it was in 2003 and it's more and more every day yeah when i was rereading there you know like there's a couple parts that like stood out to me in particular like obviously the whole scene where they act sarge uh what was the worst battle he's ever been a part of. And that sounded like threads about people at protests right now in some very real ways. But then also what really stood out to me is that that one line from the FBI agent where he goes, black people have always known about Isaiah. You know, like we don't know the details, but we've all known, you know. And when you guys were talking specifically about like the prescience is directly tied to how informed you are about the community that it's about. Like it plays with that exact moment that is true about reading the book within its pages. It makes sense that even if Steve wasn't, you know, like literally on ice, that he wouldn't have known because it's not something that would have been considered important to the people around him. And and actually I would push that further and it seems like they would have purposefully kept him from knowing because he, being the kind of person that he is, would have then been like, well, then we have to speak on this. And it clearly the mechanism behind everything was keeping it secret because these people are the experiments and the discarded people and the disposable people. We have our shining man in red, white, and blue, and that's the one that counts. So like, even though like, you know, like the the part where they say that, that Isaiah stole the uniform and it's like, he wasn't wearing it. He had his own. He's good. <laughs> like, that's his uniform. Yo, or the moment that Steve reacts to the health insurance. Oh, yeah. That's one of the moments where you're like, this is why no one told Steve. Yes. Because if Steve had ever for a moment found out that they gave this man what we, like, if you're reading this book, 
you probably have strong feelings about VA health insurance. Yes, if you emotionally absolutely. connect to this book and the poor treatment of veterans. So you know that like this moment is above and beyond and for them to have taken so much from Isaiah and getting to see like that was one of those moments that's so real that I'm so glad is in the in the book but because of that it hurts so much. You didn't have to have that detail of a moment. You could have still had what happened to Isaiah happen without that detail, but that a detail is what makes the story retelling of truth. What is it not to go all like nerd classic literature sort of thing, but Do the it. things they carried. Yeah, yeah, yeah for <laughs> the sure. The things they carried where they have the chapter in there that's about true stories don't have to be true. No matter how exaggerated the details or how much you've made up the details, it's still a true story, which you know obviously ties back to this being called truth. This is an incredibly true story. And those details like the VA healthcare is one of them. And even more so, I think that it does a really good job of showing how much we sanitize our history just in real life. And it shows us how much is kept from people because then there would be mm-hmm. change. <laughs> right? Not to get a little too, like, real with it. but We picked truth. We're going to be real. <laughs> we, we did. We did. You know, the amount of people that didn't know about Black Wall Street, that didn't know about the Tuskegee experiments, that didn't know actually what Christopher Columbus like did, like all of these things where it's just like, you're taught in school that like X, Y, and Z, and it's very clean and very clear cut. And here are the good guys and here are the bad guys. And all these people kind of contributed. But then people learn about the truth. And then they're like, what the hell, man? Like, how could you lie to me like that? I built my entire foundation of how I understand myself in the context of my own country on these not just omissions, but lies. Like, what do I do now? And I think that seeing Steve wrestle with that too, like I, this book does such an incredible job of being like, see even Captain America. <laughs> They've even lied to him. What are they lying to you about? And I also think shifting a little, one of the things that I also found incredibly kind of like true and raw was this experience of all of these different black men and, and what it looked like, but they all ended up in the same place. And I thought that was really... It was uh, true and also painful. That first issue. Yeah. It's like, no matter how much money you have, you're still black. It doesn't matter how educated you are. You are still black and you're still, you're seen in a certain way by people that are non-black and you still have to reckon with that, you know, and then you have Sarge and, and who used to be black cap, <laughs> like, which I found really great too. <laughs> like demoted for being real. Like I was like, this is too good. You know, all of these different men and they all end up in the same place because at the end of the day, they're black. And so this is how they're going to be treated. I was like, y'all, it's, it's 2020 and this is still too true. <laughs> this, is, this is a lot. <laughs> I'm going to go lay down. I just want to put a note out to any of our listeners. If you've not already read this book, pause the podcast. Please <laughs> yeah. pause the podcast. <laughs> yes. Read it. It is available on Marvel Unlimited. Read it before listening to more of this because we are talking about the story. And it's great and it's upsetting and it's funny and it's sad. So please experience it before you hear us talk any further about it. And also the art is so beautiful oh that if you've got like a large tablet, like looking at Baker's art on a larger screen, what he does is just absolutely beautiful in this book. Oh my God. Like there were just pages and you just sit there and like the softness of the expression or like, no one does the beat before a punch like Baker does. <laughs> like that panel when you know someone's about to swing. And there's a couple of really good moments like that in this book. So uh, highly recommend it. <laughs> and everyone who gets punched deserves it. 
<laughs> Amen to that. Those covers by Kyle. Oh, those covers are like those covers yeah. are some of Yo. the finest pieces of art that Marvel's put out. They're breathtaking. They are so breathtaking. Put yourself in the shoes of someone going to a comic book shop the week that any of these issues comes out. Maybe you don't know what this book is. Like, how do you not pick it up? How do you not get drawn in? It's incredible. Yeah, I completely agree. It feels like a dynamic where even with the issue number one cover, which has such an unmistakable silhouette and such a powerful statement visually that I feel like is at the heart of this story. And then you open it up and your entry point in issue number one is at the World's Fair and you have this big splash page where you get the credits. And I just think it's so perfect that you enter this story with these smiling, joyful black faces and this experience that is of a community. That entry point is so incredible. One of the things I love also is that you start on this joy, but even that is taken away from them in that scene. Right. Because it's like, oh, ha ha, we have these white burlesque women for show when normally at this point in a carnival setting, like you would have pretty much like a very rough, exotified moment of imported Black people put on stage, right? So like there's this moment of, are they fully reversing this? And then it's completely taken away, right? It's completely this moment of, oh no, but you can't even look in their direction, even here, you know? And like, that is really the moment that foreshadows, like already you have like the World's Fair moment, which is obviously anyone who like, is like a Cap fan at this moment, like that is a statement starting there, right? And then you immediately have that moment quietly shattered. Because even here, you're not allowed to do everything. <laughs> and I think that that's such a great reflection of the tone of the first issue in general. Each story gets to that point at various stages. But at each point, someone hits the line of the thing they weren't supposed to be able to do. It's very, very good about showing that no matter how much prosperity or happiness you have, everything that you have is conditional if you're Black. Even your military rank. <laughs> Man, I do want to say, as we get into this, talk a little bit about Robert Morales, who is the writer. He passed away in 2013, and his only other Marvel work was an eight-issue run on the core Captain America title, which was the year after this, and it was right before Avengers Disassembled in 2004. And that arc has the Patriot Act, has Cap going to Guantanamo Bay, has Fidel Castro. There's an issue all about Bucky, which is this like wonderful storyline. And he does those with Chris Pachalo. So, you know, it's like incredible stuff. And then the two issues that finish out his run feature Isaiah Bradley, who was introduced here, Sort of. I would say go read them. They're really cool issues. You can find those on Marvel Unlimited as well. I won't spoil what those are, but they're really good. And if you need a little bit more of, of some of this tone and some of this, um, what this was doing and seeing where he was going with like his thoughts, this was that. I think it was very smart to do World War II stuff centered around Black people and, and all that stuff because that's widely known as like the last war that we won and that was clean and that all this stuff. And it's like, no, it wasn't. No, it was not. No, none of that is true. They, they lied to you about that, not just about how we treated our own people, which was not good, but also the fact that, like, we brought over Nazi doctors and we did this and we did that. Like, that all happened. But, like, all of that gets very lost because that was the last good war. And so to, to really dig into the fact that no war can be clean, the cleaner that it seems on the surface, the dirtier it is underneath, 
always struck me, even when I first read it, as something really, really smart. And also for me, like, the choice to make it a squad instead of a single experiment, I think is really important here. That means there is a dossier of bodies to have made one Steve. That is part of what you see Steve realize, you know, like that there was all of this that happened before Serum, you know, like for him. There was a squad that we have to watch fall apart one by one. And even before that, there's the absolute cruelty and lack of care of life where they they completely destroy and murder everyone in that camp. They're just like, this whole military base is dead except for the people we're going to take and experiment on and further desecrate their flesh. But everyone else is is useless chaff and they're dead. And you're just like, Jesus. <laughs> Speaking of how great Morales and Baker are at storytelling, the way that you can look at that issue and that scene and then relate it to later when Isaiah goes to the Nazi camp and is faced with the gassings and stuff there and how, especially when you read it all together, the way that Baker draws Isaiah, that it's not just faceless, nameless tragedy. It's For me, at least reading it, I'm like, this is just him seeing that again. Yeah. You know, it is the moment for him where he's like, it's all the same tragically to people who look like us, except, you know, like he's been threatened, but also like deeply for him, except I know my wife is at home to come home to. When he is confronted with literally Hitler and is told to pick sides, his side is with his wife. How like, powerful that is that this book very much bookends for the Black people who have been abused (laughs) during this war, how much similarity there are with the methods, you know, with the splitting of the scientists across the country lines. But for him, his heart is what makes the difference between the sides. And I think that that's in some ways that that's the difference between him and Steve and what makes them cat. Because for Steve, it's very much, you know, it's not I've chosen America because, you know, America, it's I side with America because... He believes in it. He believes in it. He believes in the ideal. He has thought about, like, that on a philosophical level, and he's like, this is why I side here, right? And with Isaiah, it's very simply, like, this is literally just where my heart is, you know? And I think that that's a really powerful thing because then it's the difference between country versus community in a real way, which I'm not going to get into because I will do that for like four hours. Well, no, it's also too, like just looking at it at that kind of level, these two Captain Americas and what they embody, right? So like Steve Rogers embodies what we should aspire to. We should be the best human being that we possibly could be. We should do good and kind things because we should do good and kind things. That's what we should do. And then Isaiah he embodies the strength and struggle. He's like, this is what it took to get here. I'm carrying all of the memories of these men that are disappeared now. They do not exist anymore on my back with me. And I'm continuing to fight because that's what I have to do. I have to persist because I am who's left. And there's something really true (laughs) and powerful about that. And also interesting when you parallel that with, uh, not to be, you know, a fanboy about this, but uh, with when Brubaker revised uh, Bucky's background, there's a real parallel there between the 
what we want to be and what we have to be to feel that way. What others have to be for us to feel like Captain America. In a lot of ways, there are a lot of similarities, I think, in the way that those stories were structurally told. I have reread this twice in the last like four months or so. And then when y'all picked this, I was like, yes, this is something important to read again. But when I got to the ending, it's the Steve moment, which is wonderful. And it's it's like, ah, yes, Steve, you are who we need you to be. But it's the silence that we see from Isaiah and he oh, can't my God. communicate and, he, and what he's been through. And yeah. that like the way it's depicted, those moments, those last couple of pages and the, seeing the photos on the wall, that's what destroys me every time, those last moments. But also, too, they bring it back to the exact image that they start with, which is joy, yes. right? Yeah. So like he has been through all of this and no one deserves joy yeah. more than him. And where is he? He's with his family. Yeah. True. <laughs> Where he belongs. <laughs> so I had a couple of discussions on social media recently, particularly about what bearing witness means and what that should mean. And one of the things that I was really taking from the conversation is it's not just about seeing something, right? It's not just being a witness or being a bystander to something, but it is allowing the witnessing of that story inside of yourself to kind of absorb it and allow it to change you and the world around you. Bearing witness is about making a story matter. And what I love about this is Steve's entire part of this story doesn't end up being this thing where he's like, it turns out that Isaiah has been, you know, locked away and he has to like violently save him or something like that. It's that Isaiah has been quietly living and the last moments of this comic is with those pictures, with giving him back the suit, which is an acknowledgement of who Isaiah is, is Steve's purpose is not to be a hero, it's to bear witness to a hero. And like that I think is mixed with the joy of doing that is what makes that end particularly powerful to me. Steve is a hero in not doing heroics here. That's the thing too, like you're not given a solution. Yeah, you're not lied to. There's no making up for what happened. Yeah. That's not it. He can't fix it. He cannot fix it. The only thing that he can do is, like you said, bear witness and incorporate what that means into how he moves in the world, right? Like, what, what questions does he have coming out of this, too? That's going to change how he looks at everything, as it should. I love the, the scene, too, um, where he's talking to the, the man who was a lieutenant but is in prison now. Yeah. The pig man? That piece of trash. Merit? That's a nicer way to put what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Merit. But just the way that Steve is like, you wore the uniform. Like, and this is what you took out of that? This is who you are? The uniform isn't the thing that's mattered. that matters here. It's the people in the uniform. And, like, the shame that is implied that Steve feels not wearing exactly the same uniform, but at being a part of this is, is really powerful there too. I think that like, to me that like, that's the story and that that's the moment. And that's the Steve that I come back to of like, no, this is shameful. And I, I will not stand for that. That is not what I stand for. When you get to the end of this story, one can only conclude that this is a masterwork 
the meaning behind so much of the story and so much of the imagery as well. So not just the writing, but the art, like the symbiosis going on here. And to land on that last image, there is incredibly powerful imagery happening in there with Captain America in this pristine red, white, and blue kind of striped uniform. And then you have Isaiah there with the flag essentially in tatters, but he's wearing it, but he's also strong, but he's also joyful. It's one of those things that the more you dig into it, the, the stronger and more powerful it becomes. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. And it's just so powerful where when Steve is apologizing to him and in context of after the uh, scene with Merritt, where Merritt goes through what is frankly a he it's so weird because it's 2003 but we see now people who uh have gone down that that logical almost word for word right like it is it is a very uh noticeable uh process and then for steve at the end of this book to explicitly say my duty is to you that like i am here to do what I can for you and for your uh, your descendants. That that's, that's my job, that that's what I represent is you. In a story that starts with Isaiah being told that he can't go to like a little burlesque show, you know, like that's such a powerful way to do that. You know, like, cause it's that moment of it would be difficult to not feel like the most important person in the world if Steve ever told you that. And this book does a really quality job of writing a Steve that is not just a hero, but makes everyone around him feel like a hero. It's it's the uh, Hawkeye art where the Captain America's not here speech, where like he goes like, you know, like Cap makes everyone want to be a better person. Like, and when Steve is apologizing to Isaiah, like, it makes me want to be a better person. It makes, you know, like, it makes me want to be the person that is that aware of my footprint, you know, like, on the earth. I think, too, for me, uh, I don't know if this contradicts or parallels what you're saying, um, but for me, reading that ending, too, as much as Steve is doing all of these things, what I love about it is that... Isaiah's home already. Yeah. He's already home. It's after the He fact. has what he needs, you know, and there is no amount of punching that can change the past. And I, you know, what really struck me is that like, no, he, the story of his wife, uh, that his wife tells about how he got home, like all of that. It's like, no, no, this was done long before you were here. Thank you for coming. Thank you. But we didn't need you then. And we don't need you now. We just appreciate that you're here. <laughs> uh, but we are together. You know, we've stood together. We as a community brought our boys home in whatever capacity that we had because we were forgotten, but we didn't forget each other. And that to me, like, like it, I think that's separate from Steve doing all this really like important work, right? Like I, I don't want to diminish that, but like to me, that's what was really powerful about that ending, is that we, we got each other. I absolutely agree, yeah. I absolutely agree, and I don't think that they contradicted each other at all, because I think, in the end, 
there's a difference between what Steve should do in the situation, which I think he does absolutely the perfect thing. Right. I think, I think he yes. should, absolutely. he should show up. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sure. But also it's an important message to show that he wasn't needed. But if he had learned all this information and not shown up, he's not cat. <laughs> then he doesn't deserve to wear that uniform. But at the same time, and like, and that's why he, the scene is quiet, right? For sure. That's why the scene is about like, even when he shows up early on, like who told you that he was dead, Steve is experiencing the epilogue. <laughs> but the epilogue is still essential to the story. No, I think I, I, it's beautiful. Yeah. Like it's a beautiful So we're moment. in agreement, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I just, I love, I love how complicated that is, right? Because this is also a thing, this is a sentiment and a thing that happens now, right? Where it's just like, oh, you're here now. Well, we were already here and we, we got it. But thank you for joining. Thank you for coming and standing and, and for doing the thing that you should do. For that, we are happy to have you, but we're here. You know, I, I think that like, they do a good job of kind of, depicting Faith's feelings about that too. Like she talks about all the stuff that she did too. And you're like, yeah, yeah. Like what happened is a, atrocious and a tragedy, but these people's lives are not tragic. They're, they're together now and they took care of each other and they achieved without you to witness it. But thank you for coming now. Because I think that that part too is one of, one of the things that sticks out to me more now than when I read it before. Is that like, we already did all this stuff, but you know what? Yes, please come. And stand with us now. You were late, but that's okay. It's okay if you're late, you showed up. And, and that Steve's reaction to being late is, I'm going to take up the mantle. It's assuring Isaiah, but, and, and also Faith, that... Well-named. <laughs> yes. That all I can do is keep doing the work. And so all I can do for you is assure you that it didn't stop with you. Yeah, for sure. It, it, it's also interesting, too, to acknowledge that Steve Rogers is, in this case, and canonically, I guess, he is the legacy character. He's not the originator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have Black Cap. That's the one. And, and now Steve is the one, actually, who took up a mental. He is not, you know, the foundation, which is pretty dope. The, the wonderful thing about this conversation that we've had, one of the many things is that we've talked so much about this book and there's so much we did not talk about. And I am thankful that we did not talk about some of those things because those are in, they're in, they're in the, the book, right? It's those things that, cause they're, and they're invariably, there will be people who listen just because they keep listening. I know I do it with certain podcasts. I'm just like, I'm just going to listen. I'll, I'll check out the, the, the art later. And there are things in here that are they're just going to knock people on their asses and it's going to it's going to be great and it's wonderful and and the stuff that y'all were talking about at the end so much of that i think for me is depicted in the art is so beautifully uh, Kyle again i have to go back to Kyle Baker cuz he's he's one of my favorites he's a legend he's a genius and he's not done enough marvel work for me i mean he's done scattered stuff for like 30 years like he, if you look at his resume you see how deep it goes he's got stories in my favorite humor book what the and he, he's got stories you know going into the 2010s and stuff his biggest run aside from this is deadpool max uh which is not available on marvel unlimited but i you know you can check that out uh but I, you know i have to say if you liked the art here, if you like the storytelling, if you like what is going on here, check out Why I Hate Saturn, Plastic Man, King David, Nat Turner. There's a lot of work. Nat Turner. That, um, yeah, Nat Turner, like a, a million and a half ways to Sunday. Um, you got to check him out. Give yourself um, the, that opportunity. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think that that last conversation is a perfect way to to wrap up our discussion about this book. Tucker, anything else you wanna you wanna add on? Read twenty twenty Ironheart. Yeah, <laughs> it's excellent. Thank you. Good man. Yeah, <laughs> much appreciated. I, I dug the first issue. I loved the second issue. Oh, thank you. It has uh, what I maintain is our funniest joke of all time. <laughs> Was it the Dre joke? Yes. yes I'm so proud of yes. myself. <laughs> Legitimately laughed out loud. So true fact, it wasn't in the original script. It was not. We were doing the lettering pass. <laughs> and then like Danny said something about like, oh, but we have to acknowledge Andre. And I was like, oh, I forgot about Dre. Wait a second. And then I went, <laughs> no, you said, no, you said, you said Xavier has to say something. Um, and it should acknowledge Andre. And I was like, oh, I forgot about Dre. Yeah, and you originally had, I think, Andre saying it. And I was like, nah, nah, we need, Xavier has to say this nonsense. Yes. And, <laughs> and then we were like, will we get away with this? We'll just do it. And if they tell us no, then, we'll, then we've got options. Better to, better to ask forgiveness than seek permission. <laughs> but like, so we were just like, we we're going to put it in, which led to a hysterical copy editing note. Uh, about whether <laughs> the best ever where we got a copy editing note about whether or not we should keep the accent because the accent <laughs> is in Andre but not in Dr. Dre. Um, and I feel really powerful about that. It was very um, good. Oh, God. We were so, like, childishly <laughs> gleeful about that joke. We were just like, well, we got to do it. This is, like, the one time that, like, uh, on what planet are we going to have a character that would make that joke and a character named Andre and the perfect moment? Like, we just got to gotta risk it. <laughs> I did it for the community. I did it for the culture. Um, <laughs> for everybody out there. But, yeah, thank you guys for having us. Uh, this was super fun. Yes, thank you. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. Thank you both so much. That episode originally aired last summer, I think, last June, and... I think of it so fondly, not just because of the great story that we get to dive into because of Isaiah Bradley, because of the incredible lore that's been built up around that, but because we got to hang out with two of the best people, Danny and Vita. I was so excited to do that. And I think they're the record holders now for appearances on reading clubs of Marvel's pull list. And I think no better folks to hold that mantle than Vita and Danny. Well said. Okay, that wraps it up for us. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Tucker Marcus, Jorge Estrada, with help from Megan Bagala. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And Brad Barton is Marvel's Pull List audio development manager. And he is the king in black. And silver. Oh, what a head of hair on that guy. Nice salt and pepper. Whew, it's good stuff. Ryan, compliments to the chef on that head of hair as well by the way. Thank you. Mine has not gotten so silver yet, thankfully, which basically means you're calling Brad old. We gotta go. I'm Ryan. (laughs) No, no, no. I'm Tucker. (laughs) This is Marvel. Your universe. Brad, please approve this episode, please.